Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will here at Schedulefly. And for me personally, this is a really cool episode because I've got Chris Duggan on the phone. And uh, he's actually probably a mile from where I'm sitting right now. And he runs one of the coolest awesomest businesses I've come across in a long time and I'm an avid fan and a customer and that's cast iron waffles uh so I've known Chris and his wife Krista and their awesome family uh really since they started so Chris man dude it's a absolute honor to have you on here my friend hey well I appreciate the opportunity and I can't believe it's been almost 10 years since I met you when we first opened our shop back in 2010 you opened in 2010 huh I mean yep I remember it well. I remember your sign going up. I remember driving by every now and then waiting for it to open. I mean, just, just and boy, it didn't disappoint. So j- tell everybody just briefly, since we haven't had you on here before, just tell the quick backstory about Cast Iron Waffles and what, you know, what your product is and what y'all do. Yeah, so we, uh, back in 2009, we, we're, we lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. My wife and I met there in high school and we raised, we're raising five kids and we just really got to a point where we wanted a better climate than what Nebraska offered with the long winters and also just some more opportunities for our kids, you know. So we looked around a lot of different cities and on Charlotte, when we decided to move to Charlotte, we had been, I've, I've owned several businesses in the past and at this particular time, the economy was not doing well in 2009. And so I decided to develop a concept that I don't want to say economy proof, but something that people would still do in a bad economy. Yeah. And so, you know, in restaurant business, as everyone knows, people have to eat. So regardless of what else is going on, you might not be able to go on the big vacation or buy the big screen TV or whatever, but you're still going to eat. And, um, so that's kind of where we started with the concept and we wanted to really focus on a specialty, you know, just specialize in a couple of things, be really good at those things. And after a lot of research, we, we came across the concept of a Belgian liege waffle, which is, um, it's a, basically a brioche dough infused with Belgian pearl sugar and cooked on a hundred pound solid cast iron waffle iron. Mm. And it's. You know, most people in the United States are used to what's called a Brussels waffle, which is made out of a batter, something you'd get at like a Hampton Inn or Waffle House, something like that, where you kind of have to put syrup and everything on it. The Belgian Liège waffle is naturally sweet when it comes off the iron, so you can eat it plain. You can put a whole bunch of great toppings on it. So that's kind of where we started. And the other half of our business is premium coffee and espresso, because again, most people start off their day with cup coffee or espresso or tea or you know something like that so um, we developed the concept in 2009 we moved to charlotte in june of 2010 and we opened up in october of 2010 with our shop there in valentine and i can attest these things are phenomenal um my kid we still I, i come get the frozen ones all the time i just got another um another dozen the other day and you know we pop those puppies in the oven for was it like 350 for five minutes and my kids love them it's like a special yeah. day when we get when they get to have those for breakfast so <laughs> That's um, awesome. yeah dude they're i mean they're fantastic and y'all have been through several different iterations of a business model 
since then, and I want to get to what you're doing now because you've had to adjust it again, but you had uh, you you went through kiosk in a mall, tried that. You, you had a second location here in Charlotte. You all have had franchise. So we walk through a little bit of that at a high level and you know, kind of w- where you had settled prior to you know two months ago uh having to change yeah you bet so we you know in 2010 we opened up and we honestly didn't know if if our concept was going to work or not it was a risk like every restaurant is a risk um you know just 900 square foot shop premium coffee belgian liege waffles that's it that's all we sell you know a few other drink options but um so and it you know it was so well received and it, it did work and sales were good and so over the first year year and a half you know you always have there's a lot of franchise companies out there that are all the time coming to you saying oh i like your unique concept you know you could franchise this and so we really felt like it was too soon to do that um one thing we worked on was trying to develop a our dough product uh, with the brioche dough product to be able to wholesale it to potentially instead of doing franchising possibly sell our dough or our finished waffles to other coffee shops. Cause you know, you go into a lot of coffee shops, especially independent ones, your options are kind of like bagel, blueberry muffin. You know, we, we saw that what success we were having with the Belgian ladies waffle that other shops could benefit from that. So that was kind of our first foray into expansion was developing a wholesale product. That was a lot more difficult than we thought from a testing perspective, developing a frozen dough product, um, is pretty challenging, especially with this kind of deal. I think we chose one of the most difficult products to make on the planet, of course. But um, So that's where we started, and, and then we had other people coming to us all the time. You know, it's one of those concepts. Anyone out there that knows or owns a coffee shop, <laughs> a lot of people walk in and say, wow, that'd be really cool to own a coffee shop. Mm. And, and it is a cool business, but it's still, on the other side of that, it's a restaurant business. So it's, it's an enjoyable concept to work and you know own but it's also you have the the regular dynamics of any restaurant so but a lot of people expressed interest i'd really like to own one of these and so we made a decision early on that we would instead of doing a full-blown franchise we would try out like a licensed situation where um someone comes to us says we'd like to own one of these we say okay well we're going to license our product and our image and our logo and such to you but we don't have total control of your business and so it's kind of like franchise light it was just an attempt to see how the concept would work elsewhere yeah and we we ended up licensing three shops over several years and unfortunately you know or fortunately two of those shops failed and it was really just simply because the owners kind of neglected the business yeah and i think there's a mis conception in the restaurant business or really just among people who haven't owned a business before that say they want to own a business that they get into it and they think oh there i'm set you know i don't i don't have to work as hard as i was working Mm. when when i had a job yeah and the reality is really the opposite (laughs) opposite. yeah (laughs) yeah so um two of those failed because of that you know the owners just really weren't present in their business now that i think that's big part of the reason that we've had success with our location um is because we're there we have our hands on it we we know what's going on we innovate you know do what's necessary to to make it better and if 
if you're not present in your business a lot, it's probably going to fail. And that's true, I think, of any business, not just the restaurant business. Amen. I think a lot of those folks probably think they can just hire somebody that's got some experience as a manager or GM or whatever and, you know, let them kind of manage the day-to-day operations and all the all the variables that come into play in the restaurant business. And, and they can kind of just, you know, if they can manage them, that person can manage the business. And, boy, that is a wrong way to go about it. I mean, y'all are perfect examples of that. It's just so true. You've got to be involved. It, it's it's just you have there's just so many things that come up. And and as you said, innovations and so many ideas that you come up with that nobody who doesn't have their, you know, their blood, sweat, tears and skin in the game in a big way that you have as an investment is going to come up with. So Uh, You own it and and your staff is as great as our staff is. I wouldn't expect them to have the level of passion and energy towards my business as I do because it's, it's just human nature. If you don't own something, it's not as valuable to you. So, um, and that's just kind of the way it is. The third, one of those licensed shops, uh, she ended up, her husband got a job elsewhere and they ended up selling the shop to another concept. And so that kind of went away that way. Um, we continue to have a lot of interest from franchise companies. I just, I'm not a hundred percent convinced we want to take that route. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't doubt that we could probably go out and sell 30 franchises of cast iron waffles. Yeah. But again, it, it with any business, it comes back to the people. It's always the people that yep. make it work. The concept is great. We've proven the concept works. Um, but you have to have the right people to do that. You know, we attempted, you mentioned the mall location. We, one of the things we thought we would try, you, see, you know, you go into malls, you see like Auntie Anne's pretzels in every mall. And they're generally pretty busy. They do well. And so we thought, well, we might want to try that concept in a mall and develop the whole kiosk and spend about a year doing that. And it really took about two and a half years from the beginning of thinking about it to the actually opening up of the kiosk. But what we didn't expect was in that two and a half year time period, just the number of people in malls continued to decline mm. precipitously. Yeah. So that was just a, an issue of bad timing. We, by the time we opened up, uh, the kiosk did all right. I mean, it did well sales wise, but there just weren't enough people in the mall to sell to. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't know if anyone that's ever been in the mall, the rents are pretty high. Your overhead's pretty high. So we ran that for about a year and made the decision that, you know, you, you work for free for a while, but eventually you got to cut it loose. So, mm. so it's interesting because our business in 2010, we, we created this concept in the worst economy we had had in probably a hundred years yep. at that time. And so that it, and we decide if it would work in this economy to work in any economy. So there we go, you know, just natural course of business. You, you have success, you try and expand, some things work, some things don't work. And all to that, get to, here we are in 2020, 10 years later, shops going along great, we're up 15% year over year, um, and here comes a pandemic in 2020. So, you know, it kind of came full circle. And, and our whole concept, we, when we started this, was based on we're going to offer a unique product, we're going to offer great service, it's going to be at an affordable price. Yeah. And that's really what got us through the bad economy in 2010, 11, and even 12. I mean, the economy just never really got great there for a while. And 
you know, we've seen over the past few years, the economy's really been rolling and that's reflected in sales. But now here we are again, where the bottom falls out of a really great economy. What do we do now? Mm. Well, um, so in, in very short order, you had to completely overhaul the way you conduct business. Um, I mean, your shop typically, particularly on weekends, my goodness gracious, you go in there on a Saturday or Sunday morning, there's like a line out the door, there's people jam-packed in there, there's people standing at the bar, the tables are all full, people are sitting outside on a nice day. None of that right now. Um, (laughs) People would love to be. But, so, okay, so then tell me about, you know, what happened? I mean, how did you you adjust and what did y'all change quickly and what's been happening with sales since then and yeah, so on March 17th, I, we were actually down in Charleston. Our daughter goes to school down there, and, um, you know, the, the order comes out, the stay-at-home order, everybody's got to close, and we didn't really know the details of it at that point, but we realized pretty quickly that we're one of the, what you would call essential. I, I really don't like that term, essential and non-essential, because a lot of our customers that normally come to our shop have been sidelined out of work and said that they're non-essential. I think that's the wrong word. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's Amen. a different topic, but yeah. we were able to stay open for takeout only. So here we are. We're not a huge shop anyway. You know, we can see like 40 inside of our shop, but our patio can seat another 40 or 30. And so we were limited to takeout only. And, mm. That was at that point. That was probably fifteen twenty percent of our business. Now overnight, that has to be one hundred percent of our business. So, um, it was just an instant, you know, whoa, what do we do now? And we we do what most entrepreneurs and anyone listening to this, if you own a business, we do what you do, and that's innovate. So, you know, immediately it was kind of a interesting. Our we didn't do a lot of online stuff prior to this you know we had a website and we do a lot of social media facebook twitter instagram stuff like that but our website was it was frankly almost 10 years old and interesting how these things happened three weeks before this all went down something our website had gotten hacked somehow where it gotten flagged on google and you couldn't even go to our website so i spent like two weeks trying to figure that out finally just dumped our hosting company, went to another hosting company and built an entirely new website with updated technology, better shopping cart, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then here comes this. So it was sort of like, you know, it was meant to be, I guess, but um, we were able to very quickly put um, an online store up there, you know, linked to our, uh, our POS system. So people could go online, place the order, come you know they can call us when they get there we give them curbside they can come in and pick it up if they want um we we do ship waffles so that's become again before this that was five six seven percent of our business we ship a lot of waffles but it's not a huge part of our business where we cook the waffles fresh in the morning we vacuum seal them um and put them in a box and ship them the same day and here in Charlotte, it's one day. East Coast is two days. Worst case, three days to California. So we were shipping a decent amount of waffles. And overnight, we're shipping all day long, ship waffle orders coming in. So Really? You know, yeah. So we have now, I mean, it's crazy how that's probably 25% of our total sales at this point. How did shipping where? 
like if you were to break that down geographically out of the volume you're doing now, is it yep. mostly East Coast or North Carolina or is so it all over? Prior to the pandemic, it was kind of scattered all over the country. You know, we, we also have our ship waffles on Amazon. Um, we sell them off our website. We sell them in shop. People can order them and send them as a gift, basically. It's a lot of times it's a gift. Or some people just love them and they just get them periodically to keep them in there like you do frozen. But um, so it was all over the country, California, Oregon, Texas, everywhere, East Coast, New York. Mm. People that had been to our shop or they had a relative that had been to our shop that loved it and they just sent waffles out. So, and it would be particularly busy around Christmas. We'd ship 40, 50 boxes a week around Christmas, around Easter. Mother's Day is kind of a busy time for that as well. But now what we've seen since this started, and we've really pushed it online with our marketing, is we'll ship waffles in Charlotte. I've shipped waffles to your neighborhood, Will. So, Are you serious? You know, people, yeah. People that just don't want to go out right now. You know, they're just, <laughs> oh, wow. for whatever reason, they're just, I'm not going for takeout. Maybe they're in a risk category for this virus. Who knows? But Yeah. Um, we, we're so actually we just, in that situation. We're high risk. Like Lauren's, Lauren, uh, with her health, we're real high risk. So we're real careful about that. For sure. <laughs> Although, yeah. I can't, I should, you can walk over to your place from here faster than oh well anyway okay to each yeah, his own but it's, cost wise, it, it's really not a lot different so yeah. for example like if you if you order 12 bulk waffles in our shops 34 dollars yeah so with the ship waffles it's 38 dollars for the same amount but that includes the shipping so yeah. yeah you know it's a few extra bucks but we've now because of our new website and such we've added the ability to throw in toppings like nutella maple buttercream even now i've added a pound of coffee so you can really make a complete package or gift out of it mm. and ship it really anywhere in the united states in two to three days oh, and I, wow really okay yep so that's become a big part you know i'd say big but it's 25 percent up from five or seven percent okay so it has been a big deal the takeout has been obviously that's the only way we can sell but what we're seeing is sales wise not a lot different from before the pandemic mm -hmm. but i will say number one we've worked a lot harder to achieve those similar sales just in the sense of marketing innovation there's been some food supply disruptions we've had trouble getting certain products um Obviously, everyone in the whole country goes to takeout. Well, guess what? It's harder to find takeout. Styrofoam to-goes, you know, bakery oh, boxes, yeah. things like that. Uh, yeast has become right up there with toilet paper during this thing. I don't know why, but um, everybody's hoarding yeast. So really? there's, there's just some little nuanced challenges that it really keeps you on your toes uh, pretty much 12-hour days, seven days a week mm. to stay on top of this thing. And that goes back to what I was talking about with, you know, there are times in our business where, you know, we've systemized it pretty well and it's running pretty smooth and, you know, you, you have the freedom. I think that's really, if people ask me, why do you work for yourself? Why I've worked for myself for 26 years. Why do you do that? And I, and I just tell them flat out, you know, it's, I work hard, just as hard or harder than anybody else. Everybody works, whether it's for a job or for yourself, but with being self-employed, it's all about freedom you're still going to work probably same or even maybe more hours, but you do it on your time schedule. Yeah. So you, you, you're able to make the things that are important to you. You just do it. And if that means you're doing work at midnight or on a Sunday or, you know, 
you just do it. And it's, so you get to kind of design your life. I'd say that's really the biggest difference between being self-employed and, and working for someone else. Yep. Yep. Totally. hundred percent. And, uh, you do it on your terms and the work you're doing is, is for yourself, not to somebody else's benefit. And look, I, I agree hundred percent. And I, I'm not surprised at all that y'all are able to pivot quickly, uh, and that you're, you're busting it hard, man. You've always had a, your whole family. I mean, you have a great work ethic and you're creative and you're passionate about what you do and you're very intentional and you're thoughtful. And this is all, these are all the things you, you're very driven. I mean, these are the things that, that I admire personally, just about you know, independent restaurant people in general. I think it's a amazing, you know, people that succeed in this business are an amazing group of people who are very creative who hustle, who are gritty, who are driven, who are determined, who are passionate about what they do, who care about hospitality and serving others. It's a great combination of skills, a talent stack, that if you've got that, you, well, you have to have that to be successful in this industry. But if you have that, I, it's something I admire greatly. I mean, dude, like the people that think, oh, what a neat business, what a cool business, that's sexy, that's neat, I, I'd love to do that, I, I'm so tired of my, I want to do that. Man, I mean, be careful because it is a very distinct set of skills that you need as, as well as just full-on hustle and drive that I don't I mean, I, I always, I mean, I've been serving restaurants for 12, 13 years now and we have with Schedule Fly and I always look at y'all and I'm like, man, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, well, I, mean, I really, I appreciate that, Will, and and I feel the same way about you guys that run a schedule fly. You know, I look at any business, whether it's a restaurant or any business, where you find a need and you create something to fill that need, and then you just master that thing. You just, yeah. you know, it doesn't start out perfect, but you no. continue to hone that. And we've used your schedule fly software, I think, since we've been open, and you know, just watching you guys grow, and I love your business model and. Um, watched your uncorked series over the years, you know, as you, what you're talking about interviewing all these restaurant owners. Um, and I, I do see that common thread of the creative, they're, you know, hardworking people, passionate, all that. I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot in the restaurant business, and this is probably true in, in any business, I know it is, but it's, it's what I said earlier about it, it always comes back to the people. And I, I want to say about like our staff, for example. Yeah just what awesome people that we have working for us. And we understand when these young people, because we're in the restaurant business, a lot of young people that are, this isn't their permanent career. So they're coming to you. Many of them have no experience working at all. And I actually kind of prefer that because we're essentially teaching them how to have a job and, you know, teaching them just little things of, Hey, you show up to work, you may be having a bad day, you leave it at the back door. You know, you're going to have a great shift and you can pick up that junk at the back door if you still want to, you know, on your way out. But you, you owe the customers a great experience. And we have been very fortunate in our business. And and this is one of the keys to success in our company is a very limited amount of turnover. Um, We generally, we don't hire a lot. And when we do hire, it just means one of our young people has moved on to their next thing, whether it's they're graduated high school and they're going to college and they come back, you know, most 99% of our staff that is gone now is are welcome back anytime. They'll, they'll be back in town and text us, Hey, I'm back in town. I got a couple of weeks. I'm here. Do you, 
do you have any shifts? And it's so fun because we'll be like, yeah, come on. We had a shift on Saturday. Come work on Saturday. We've had, uh, I get so many stories of these people that have gone on. And it's really cool to see. I just, I believe that a good leader creates more leaders. And that's where you have, because a lot, of, I see a lot of businesses where, you know, the, their staff are their, they serve them. Like you're here and they're beating up on their staff and, and stuff like that. And they wonder why they're always struggling. And for us, it's really the opposite. We see our staff as, as a real blessing yeah. and as essential. It's the most essential part of our business because they're the, really the face of that our customers see and their, their attitudes and all that. So I, I think that's just important to really point out is the importance of, you know, the owner relationship with their staff. Huge. Absolutely. And you have an amazing uh, ability to keep people. I mean, you've got people that have been there for years and years. I mean, I've seen them for, um, you know, almost as long as you've been open. And that's that's rare. Uh, so you guys are doing something right, my friend. Now, um, have you – oh, let me ask you, Chris, you were selling – didn't you have some like coffee shops on the West Coast or out in the mountains or somewhere that were were selling your waffles for a while as well? We do, yeah, we still do actually. Still do. We okay. have um, so but what I mentioned earlier about the wholesale dough product. So we yeah. did create um, a frozen wholesale dough product that um, we we could sell to other coffee shops, and we were a little bit selective about how we do that. We actually have one way back when this is a guy I met so crazy. My son was a football player and we were down at Citadel on a recruiting trip. And one of their assistant coaches were sitting there waiting for the head coach. And he tells me all about his uncle's coffee shops out in uh, Montana, Billings, Montana and Gillette, Wyoming and that area. And he asked me about my business and I told him, he said, wow, that's really interesting product. My uncle might be interested in that. So two days later, I get a call from a guy out there in Gillette, Wyoming and he's got big coffee shops. These are like kind of like Starbucks size of coffee shops, 2,000 yeah. square feet, full service, drive through, the whole thing. And he was very interested in our product. And I ended up flying out there, meeting him, just a great guy. And he ended up, he's now opened two of those, but he was has purchased our wholesale uh, waffle product for years now. Started out with finished waffles. That's how we started doing it. And we realized that wasn't just feasible to cook all those waffles we'd blast chill them case them up ship them out frozen takes up a lot of freezer space that's really the limiting factor oh then yeah. we finally yeah it's just so much space i mean a waffle in dough form is a lot smaller than a cooked waffle so yep. yeah um so anyway we perfected our frozen dough product and they bought that product for years um then they expanded and now we've we've done essentially a, a royalty, a licensing royalty. So we train them on making our actual fresh dough like we do in our shop. And it's what we've what we've realized is if you want to have the same level of success that we have with our product and with our concept, you have to do exactly what we do. And and that's true in sports. It's true in any business and mm. anything. You can't say, oh, wow, I want to do what you're doing. Here's the 10 things. I'm going to do nine of those 10 things. Yeah. Well, 
it's the 10th thing that you didn't do that causes failure. So um, ultimately we've progressed with this and they're really good friends of ours now, but we've progressed. So now they are actually making fresh dough uh, in their kitchen every day and cooking fresh waffles, just like we do. And it's so cool to see since they made that switch about almost a year ago, their sales have just continued to exponentially grow. So, and we still do for local. And the reason we stopped shipping frozen dough was just LTL frozen freight. When you want to ship a pallet of frozen anything, it's just mm-hmm. one pallet. You're going to pay like seven, eight, nine hundred dollars to ship one pallet. So, and it's, so you run into the problem of cost and also the problem of storage. Yeah. So, we stopped doing that for those reasons. The product was phenomenal. The frozen dough product is excellent. It creates really the same quality waffles, but it's the transport and the storage that really limits us. We do have in Johnson City, Tennessee, Open Doors Coffee House there. Uh, they came to us years, several years ago, wanted to serve our waffles in their shop, and they're doing a great job with it. And they actually come pick up the frozen dough from us. So we still do the frozen dough with them. Um, we have a another concept here in Charlotte that's looking at doing the same thing. So uh, in different areas of Charlotte, uh, South end and, and Concord and such, because we're, we made the decision, Chris and I, that we personally are not going to open any more locations. If we, mm. if there are more locations of cast iron waffles, ultimately it would be through a franchise yeah. system. Um, but for us personally, we're really focusing on continuing to perfect our business model. And I think just this last two months, you know, in every crisis, there are opportunities. You just have to see them. Yeah. And in this crisis, it sometimes it forces your hand to get out of your comfort zone and start yep. doing things differently. And this has been really no different. This is there's we've found opportunity in this. And I think ultimately we'll be a better business at, at the end of it than we were before it. That's the mindset you've got to have to get through this and to buckle down and endure it and then come out on the other side better. I totally agree. 100%. Um, though folks out West, uh, and so they're replicating your process. Is it branded cast iron waffles or is it just, do they, how does that work? It is not branded cast iron waffles. Okay. Essentially they make, they produce. So we have a royalty agreement with them. Okay. So, the waffles, and we do it on production because we don't know what they're going to do with the waffles after they produce them. Yeah. So um, they produce, They might do samples, you know, give them away. They might, who knows, loss. You could have a staff member who's not very good that burns a bunch of waffles. So we do it on production. So it's a simple royalty um, on number of waffles produced per month. How do you track so, it? Well, you track it. Well, number one, it's we have an agreement in place. Number two, it's backstopped by POS numbers. So okay. we know that let's say you produce a thousand waffles in a month. Yeah. Okay, I'm just using just random numbers, but if you produce a thousand and your POS numbers say that you sold 930, then we're, we're good. Yeah. You know, it's, and so you look for trends and it's just like any, in any franchise, you have a similar situation where, you know, when you create a franchise, you're giving them your entire business model, everything, yeah. start to finish, nuts and bolts. And there's just a lot of different things in place to make sure that everybody's, you know, honoring their side of the agreement. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, are are you seeing people tipping a lot higher right now? We are. Yeah. You know, people have been very generous um, for our staff coming to work and, you know, I, you could say taking a risk, you know, being yeah. out in public because we're, we're out there every day securing different foodstuffs for our product, and, yeah. you know, just scrap and trying to get everything that we need to continue to operate and, and serve our customers and customers have just been awesome in their tipping. And I really feel for people that have been completely shut down and have, mm-hmm. you know, in their business. Cause we have a lot of people that work in salons and barber shops and, you know, just right around us that are not able to earn income right now. Yeah. And it's, I, I really feel for them. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that this becomes very, very temporary because I know that people cannot survive for a long period of time with no income. And so, but the people that are able to come in and, you know, purchase waffles and maybe they're still working from home. There are a lot of people that are not going to work, but they're still getting a paycheck. Um, because they're working from home or whatever, but they've been very generous. Yeah, our tips percentage has gone. The first week, it was kind of a, it was a dip. You know, we hit a dip right away. People had no idea, scared to death, Yep. you know, wouldn't go out of their house, didn't know about takeout. And that, once people kind of, after a week, got into a new normal a little bit, and the mark, you know, we're marketing saying, hey, we're open, we're taking these precautions. You know, the county health department had a bunch of different requirements that needed to be followed for safety and such. Once people kind of realize that after the first week or 10 days, then it, we started to achieve normalcy Hmm. in a different way. Gotcha. Okay. Glad to hear that. I mean, you're they. you you know, um, y'all are taking some, we don't know. It's, you know, the funny thing about this is just nobody knows. I mean, it's just a lot of, it's just kind of sort of educated, get like six feet. I, you know, you mean, I, what, know. I mean, I've heard, I've heard everything from A to Z on this from, yeah. if you walk out of your house, you're going to die instantly to it. it you're not going to get it. I mean, it, you could go to that either end of that spectrum. A lot of people think they've already had this virus. You know, we were, yeah, I think I did. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But I think I I'm did. not I a could... health expert and I'm, <laughs> so I'm just going to focus on what I do. And that's just, yeah. we're playing the hand that we're dealt, you know, yep. we're working hard. We're, um, we're fortunate to be open. Our sales are, you know, they're right in there with what they were close enough. And it's, our margins are lower because we're selling more bulk items. For example, mm-hmm. let's say you like coming into our shop and having a slowberry cobbler waffle, you know, right. that's a higher end item than I'm going to get 12 yeah. bulk waffles, which are discounted to go. Yeah. So sales similar, but your margins are lower, yeah. but and that's just a, a byproduct of how we're able to serve our customers. So obviously, we're, we're super excited to be able to open back up again so people can come in, sit down, have an experience. You know, even if it's whatever, we have to take a table out of the middle or take a bar stool out or, you know, expand our patio seat. We'll just do whatever is necessary to allow people to work their way back towards normal. Anytime I hear people say it'll never be the same again, I reject that outright. Mm. I disagree with that. Yeah. This was kind of a shock to the system. It's something new. Nobody's ever experienced before, but uh, in this country I see, you know, people are, they innovate, they figure it out. 
you know, people are going to go back to normal. When that'll be, who knows? It could be a few weeks, could be a couple months, who knows? Yeah, I hope you're right, man. Uh, I think that it's it's when you're in the middle of this, it's easy to think this changes everything. But there's been a lot of things where we've said this this changes everything, and then it it doesn't. Um, right. Even the financial crisis changed some stuff, but you know, all of a sudden leverage gets high again, and it, you know, it just um, things happen because you know these trends happen because people are humanity is wired a certain way and history tends to, I don't know if it repeats, but it rhymes. Um, True. So, That's right. And, and we're, you know, we're, I mean, we're just a look, we're, we're wired to be around people. We're wired to go out. We're wired to congregate in places and celebrate and mourn and discourse and interact and laugh and cry and eat delicious food and drink while we're doing it. And that's why we love places like yours. So I hope you're right, man. I, I, I think that I think, you know, I think it will, uh, for the most part, who knows when there's so much fear that's been created and panic because of just the, we just don't know so much. Uh, and then you do hear all these, yep. like you said, A to Z, you hear one thing on, from this person, there's a quote expert, and then you hear the opposite from some other quote expert. So it's hard to know. Um, it well, is. Yeah. And I think time will sort that out. Yeah, you'll, you'll start to see, you know, I think the extreme opinions on both sides are going to get thrown out. Yeah. And there's going to be some reality in between there that this is what it is. This is how we manage it. This is, you know, smart thing to do, whatever. But you're right. You know, people, I'm 49 and I've <laughs> seen some stuff over the years. You know, the 9-11 happened and wow, that was talk about a shock to an economy, a system of American way of life. It was a big deal, but just like we do, you know, in this country, we, we work our way back to normal. We work our way back to overcoming it. And yeah. I, I don't have any reason to believe, uh, everybody thinks that the time right now we're living is the most important time ever, but I love history. And I look back, <laughs> there's been a lot tougher times in the history of the world than what we're going through right now. So, Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, and, and we do, we're, we're, well, look, I mean, not only is every, you know, not only is our, our country, which is by default a very in, innovative, hardworking, you know, spirit of entrepreneurialism just bleeds throughout this, this, our whole fabric of society, but the whole world's working on this problem right now. <laughs> it's basically yep. 7 billion people trying to figure out one problem together. So you got to have a lot of optimism around that. Um, That's right. Well, okay. We've really never seen that before. Never. In, our, in my lifetime. I, I think maybe in other times or places, but in our lifetime, I've never seen a global pandemic like this where everybody has the same thing in mind. I, I don't think there ever has been because you, you, at least there's no way to um, – we just haven't been ever, ever been so connected, right? So there's – I mean, right. the yeah. connections we have um, – right now are there's a big advantage to the ability to share resources and information you know at light speed through a, a click of a button so that's a good thing um let me ask you this i want to ask you one more thing and then i'm gonna let you roll because i know you're a busy dude but tell me about the ppp so the payroll protection um this is something that you know it it's vital really for a lot of businesses and ours included in the sense that like I talked about, even though we're still open, we're still doing sales. You're doing that at, at 
lower margins. So being able to remain even slightly profitable is, is challenging in this environment. Yeah. And, you know, you have a lot of companies, I'm just, you know, I'm going to throw out like a, let's say a larger a bar restaurant that's, you know, f- whatever, 50% bar, yeah, 50% restaurant. Well, it's not the first place you might think of to go get takeout food, you know? So right. I know a lot of those places are way down, you know, I mean, they might be doing 20% of sales that they were doing before. And I think for those reasons, the, the PPP was, was a good idea. Um, and like most things that government handles, good ideas don't necessarily mean good implementation. Mm. So, you know, they passed this thing and I, I remember it was April 3rd and it, you know, we're a very small company. So the amount of money that, that we would have, had applied for and and would get is pretty small you know but but everything's on a scale you know so our small company we have smaller overhead bigger companies big overhead but it came out on april 3rd and i remember going online thinking you know this is something we're going to apply for and we couldn't even apply for it for gosh i think almost a week so they said go through your bank yeah that's the best chance for you to get a ppp loan so Wells Fargo is our bank, mm. and I'll name them specifically because they've been the worst yep. in this. You're not the only one. <laughs> Man, they're getting sued. I've seen they've got lawsuits against yeah. them. Evidently, what they've done is they prioritized all their big yep. business clients, um, and it was just amazing to watch. So I went through Wells Fargo. I applied there. Uh, another buddy of mine owns a small business, and he had a different bank. So he said, "Hey, I got on this conference call, and I I listened to it." Um, they were very formative, so I thought I'll put an application in there because it doesn't matter who goes through it's an SBA loan. The first one to process it is going to write the loan, so it didn't really matter. You could apply ten times, but you're only getting one loan. So, yeah. so I applied through that bank, and then just shot in the dark. I thought, you know, I'm going to search online to see if there's any online lenders that might be taking this application. So I did put one in through an online lender. I really didn't have much hope about any of it, but so I waited. 14 days until I finally, well, Wells Fargo sends out a nice little email every other day that says, thanks for applying for the PPP loan. We're putting you in order of submission, which is not true because we put ours in right away. But anyway, so to this day, I'm still getting that email from them. But yeah, so (laughs) but 14 days into this, I see that somehow we've exhausted $350 billion in, in federal money that just printed out of whole cloth so it was a little discouraging to see that and and what's everyone's acknowledging now what has happened is those companies and those organizations with political connections mm-hmm. got right in front of the line and maxed out the program or, or that had really large loan requests because the banks got paid you know a percentage yeah. of the loan so clearly what ten, they did is they 10 split. million dollars was the max yeah. so there's so many companies you talk about large franchises or and I'm not knocking any other company, but here's the deal. You know, to what we're learning, one thing I'm learning in this pandemic is connections politically mm. are very valuable. Yep. A, for example, if you look at the shutdown orders, well, they exempt this company and that company. You know, just use the big ones because Target, Walmart, Lowe's, you know, these are huge corporations that have big lobby, a lot of political influence, so on and so forth. Well, they're all still open. 
Yep. But and they're selling. I, I just have to ask, how do you sell clothes and makeup in one store, but you can't sell clothes and makeup in a boutique, a small store? How is that any less safe or more safe? Totally. So that's more of a philosophical argument. But those are the same companies, types of companies that got to the front of the PPP process and maxed out. You're talking universities, sports franchises, mm-hmm. getting you know six million, eight million, ten million, and meanwhile the small businesses get nothing yep. and so it ran out of money um and then they refunded it took a week or two where they put more money into it and we did finally get a notification that we have an sba number and that could take some time but to this day i mean we're on what came out april 3rd we're over a month since that whole program kicked off and we haven't seen any money from it you know Wh- which one did you get the number through which uh, institution? It was we. Oh, and it's funny because Wells Fargo. No, the other community local bank. They did reach out to me and said we're we're working through it. They're making an attempt. Didn't successfully do it. I went online to a company called Lindio, and hmm. Lindio. For those, if you remember Lending Tree, yeah, so it's a sure. So it's basically an online broker. They take your information and then they disseminate it to different banks who make an offer on your loan. Yeah. So this was the same thing. They were advertising for the PPP. So I I'm, I'd never, I had no relationship with Lindio. I just found it, never heard of it until the day I applied for the PPP loan. I had to go kind of research it to make sure I wasn't putting all this documentation on some, you know, scam website. But yeah. uh, they're legit. They've been around a while. And anyway, so that was the one. And what they did, they have lots and lots of SBA partners. So they distributed that to a whole bunch of their partners and the one one of their lenders came back and got us an SBA number so according to them if you have an SBA number you have funds reserved for you yeah. so i don't and i have no idea i couldn't even tell you well how long it takes to get you know i get a request from them i send them some more information i have no i don't know how long it takes to complete the process or if it ever will be completed mm-hmm. But I think we're learning as a society, you know, people have a big interest in, oh, government's going to take care of this and take care of that. And I think we're learning right now of how inept government is at serving a lot of people. The government has programs in place for small numbers of people, you know, like take the unemployment system, for example. That system is designed when people lose their job temporarily to get unemployment assistance. It's usually, you know, what, what's unemployment? Four, five, six percent, seven, maybe. Yeah. So does a great job with those numbers. Well, when you throw 30 million people out of work, I don't, I don't, I know very few people, if any, that have been thrown out of work, tried to apply for unemployment. The whole system's shut down. Yeah. Nobody's getting any unemployment. Yep. And people got a $1,200 check from the government for two months of shutdown. Yeah. I don't know very many people that can pay all their bills with $1,200 for two months. So, you know, same with the PPP loan. It falls under the same category. Government, it just $550 billion just evaporates and it goes to the same companies that have the same connections with the same people in government. And it just, it starts to smell a little bit when you talk from a small business perspective of not only are the small businesses out there struggling, but 
many of them are shut down while these bigger companies are open. So the bigger companies are getting a double benefit here. A, they're getting all the funds. B, their competition is shut down and yep. they never reopen. Yep. No, uh, it's that's that's a bad trend in our country. If we're going all the money and all the power to very few entities, it's not a good thing. No, I mean you talk about you know really just a bifurcation of the of the country into just a tiny percent of people controlling all the wealth and power, and everybody that's. I it's mean, scary. You, you've had people talking about that for a long time, but this just accelerates that significantly. Yep. So it, it is sure very concerning. Does. It is. Yeah. The connect, I, I know, man, it's that kind of stuff is so maddening. I could, I don't even want to start. Uh, yeah. We, well, so we made a commitment day one. We weren't laying it since we were still able to do takeout. We made a commitment. We're not laying a single person off. We're not cutting anyone's hours. And we've, we've done that. That's and awesome. you know, for, for all the challenges, and I'm not patting ourselves on the back. I'm just saying it because I know there's a lot of companies out there that have done the same thing. And I know that those PPP funds, especially for the small companies, would come in very handy because of the lesser sales, smaller margins. And they're trying to keep their people paid so that, you know, their people can support themselves as well and, you know, and still have these jobs when this all ends. So, well, um, well, gosh, I, I hope that I hope that it's right that if you have that number, you you get the funds. I I I I've hear so many different stories about this stuff. It's it's fascinating. Um, I will say that the community banks, by and large, have outshined the big banks massively um, during this. From from what I what, what I've been told, yeah, and, and that's no, I've heard primarily that too. yeah. And it's most of it's because I've had I've had a lot of people on here, Chris. That and we've had almost I think we're pushing close to. 50 interviews just in the last couple months since it started for this podcast and so many folks that were with large banks uh, found somebody else to help them out because the big banks didn't and they're moving their relationship you know away from those big banks for that reason we we are certainly doing that and I hope that is a nationwide trend that I just think local is better for everything agree Agree. and it's you know but yeah no i i hope that that's the case i know for us that was kind of the wake up moment that with wells fargo for example that they're not they're really not there for you as a partner in your business and a a bank your bank should be to some extent your partner in what you're doing well, they should, and they advertise themselves that way, Chris. That's the thing. I right. mean, my previous business, we we uh, we sold to banks. They were our customers, and so I was really immersed in that for seven or eight, ten years. And you know, they do a good job of marketing. They have a massive amount of funding for marketing efforts. For they sit around and they come up with taglines and language that that sounds wonderful. But that's all it is at the end of the day. And yep. what the community banks do is they execute on that. You know, they may not even advertise as much. It's just what they do. It's how they're wired. It's people that truly want to serve their community and help members of the community and and know the community and build a relationship and build a partnership. And, you know, while they may lose out on these 
technological efficiency sometimes that the banks can invest in. Boy, when something like this happens, you want one of those relationships, don't you? And people are really realizing that now. And I, good for them because things that are so efficient like that, like the big banks, the scale they have with technology and efficiencies of operations and all that, you know, if you don't have some slack in the system, then anything unforeseen and unpredicted like this causes something that's highly efficient to just break down. I mean, it's just like your yep, your body, right. like you, you're 49, I'm 45. If you and I overtrain right now, which I've been guilty over the last, you know, I've learned my lesson the hard way is you, you get really efficient. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm in great shape. I'm really efficient. And then you push a little hard or something unforeseen happens. You know, you tear a muscle or whatever and you pay for yep. it. That's what the downside of efficiency is. So to so kind of to just jump on your point of, you know, local, it's there may be efficiencies lost in the, slow relationship building that you have with local businesses or local accountants or local attorneys or local whatever. But, um, you know, they may not have the resources that these big institutions have, but boy, they have that personal relationship that you want so desperately when something like this happens. So good for the folks that are benefiting from that, from this, for that reason. And, um, I think a lot go right, goes right back to your business and to local independent restaurants. People are thinking about that now, you know, who do yeah, I, who do right. I care about? That's why I asked you about the tip. I mean, people are tipping more now. They want y'all to survive. They realize so much. While they may have been conscious in the past, like the way you and I might have looked at it because we're in it all the time, or it may be in subconscious that they want their local independent hospitality business to survive because it's where they get joy and pleasure and they have meaningful events in life. And when you have something important that you want to go celebrate or – um, spend time with friends or take your family somewhere for an important moment. You don't, you know, most people don't think about the big chain or the big, you know, large national organization where, or, you know, hospitality concept where if you go in Charlotte or you go in LA or you go in you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, it's the exact same thing. They think about the place down the street that, you know, the, the couple from Nebraska moved in. They started this cool place years ago and man, we want them to, Boy, that's a special place. That's our place. That's our community's yep, place. That's right. We own that too. We want. We want them. What do we do to help them? That's what people are thinking through now. And that's a great. You know, that's why I'm very optimistic. You know, ultimately about this with y'all's well, ability just, to innovate. We need and, to get these. We need to get the, the those businesses like ours. You know, the, that they need to get back open, even if it's starting out with patio seating. I mean, yes. You know. I have a hard time believing that you're putting yourself at great risk unless you're in a risk category of sitting on a patio with tables six feet apart. You know, I, I go out all day, every day, just trying to run our business and get what we need to be able to keep open. And there's people everywhere. So, you know, it's, it's not a situation where you walk out of your house and you're, you're in big trouble, you know, the stores I go into, there's so many people in there and it's sitting on a patio six feet apart at a local restaurant would be far safer than going to Lowe's. <laughs> going I, to Lowe's. <laughs> exactly. I know. That's what's so crazy about it. You go to the grocery store and you're way, I mean, you know, theoretically, if this is all true, you're way more at risk than if you're sitting on a patio outside at a restaurant yeah. because there's people all over the place. Um, some, some of it just lacks perspective. That's my mm-hmm. biggest thing is, you have this, but not that. And it's, it's like, wait a minute, just 
you know, in my mind or just being fair, just out of a sense of fairness, it doesn't seem right on a lot of fronts. And, you know, you see what's going on with this virus and that those that are at risk, this thing is nasty. And yeah. it's so for that group of the population, I, I mean, if, if they, we keep them at home and safe from this, that we need to do that. I will deliver food to them, yeah. you know, yeah. um, we'll leave it on the porch. We'll sanitize everything, leave it on the porch. That needs to happen. But for everybody else that is, as of really what we've seen, pretty, pretty minimal risk of either getting it or if you do get it, it's, it's not that serious. Um, just taking some smart steps to, to get this economy going. Cause I'm starting to believe that the, the economic impact and the destruction that's happening in people's lives, it's real. And it's, oh, it is very real. you could start to make an argument that it's surpassing the threat of, of any virus, let alone, you know, this one or any other potential virus. So I hope that, uh, the government, smartens up a little bit and starts taking some common sense to get some of these local restaurants and, and businesses back open, even if it's at a smaller capacity. Well, you know, this is where you really want, um, this is where, you know, we will, we'll end here, but big, big government, big federal government making decisions is, you know, this is where you, you really understand the value again, to your same point of, of localism, local decisions, you know, Local folks being able to make decisions and, and do things that, you know, that community sees as being right versus what's happening elsewhere. Um, and, yep, you know, if you're right. in, I mean, if you're in New York and it's, you know, such a densely populated urban area, that's probably a different atmosphere than, you know, for sure, you know, Waxhaw, North Carolina, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And it's, it's interesting because I've, I've, written letters to my state house representative, my state Senate representative, to the governor, to the speaker of the Senate in the North Carolina government, all because most of what's going on stay at home orders and all of it is state level stuff as it should be federalism. We're federalist nation. You know, the federal government can give advice and they can be there to backstop the states. But for the most part, this is state action. And, so I've contacted every one of my district leaders. I've got zero response. So that just, when you talk about local, that's local, you know, your city officials, your mm. house, your Senate local, not, not U S house and U S Senate. I'm talking North Carolina house, North Carolina Senate. Yeah. And you get zero response in 60 days as a business owner. Then guess what? It's time to change the leadership. Yeah. I agree with that. So that's your power. That's your immediate power is your power to vote and your power to get involved. And I, and I would encourage business owners and individuals, if you don't like something that's happening, you have to do something about it. Don't always assume that someone else is going to fix it for you. Yeah. And I think it's time to wake up for people in this country. There's a lot of things going on that I think people are seeing right now that they really don't like. And um if that's you, then you need to take some action and you need to get involved and you need to go fix it. Cause in this country, the ballot box is your best next best weapon to change things. 
I think people will be thinking a lot more about local elections now, my friend. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I believe that's true. Nobody yep. shows up for the, I mean, it's like terrible turnout anywhere, terrible. anywhere. Yeah. It's just people don't care. They're like, whatever. I think There's you're going to have a record turnout. Yeah. I think people are thinking a lot November, more about in it now. Every precinct in, you know, it's interesting because in like North Carolina, there's thousands of precincts yeah. just in the state of, or the County of Mecklenburg, there's 243 voting precincts hmm. and there's a hundred counties in North Carolina. So when you talk about local, yeah, your precinct is really local. If you look at a precinct map, it's like your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, and I think people need to start there. And I think we're going to have a big turnout. People are going to start choosing leaders that respond to what's going on and make good, smart decisions. So I'm hopeful anyways. Have you, I guess I think as a restaurant owner, you have to be an eternal optimist. <laughs> yeah, you have to be. Well, to be an entrepreneur, it's just you, you've got to be. Otherwise, you just don't have a chance. You know, it's true. Something, something's yep. going to get you if you're not. Well, look, one more thing. Now you've written these. Have you called their offices? Like I haven't. I mean, I'm just. I haven't bothered to call. I'm assuming no one's showing up at their office. So if you don't have their cell number, I've, but I've written letters to all of those entities with just zero response. I got a cell phone number for you, man. I'm going to give so it to you. I would encourage everybody to write letters. If whatever your opinion is, great job, or you're, what's going on, or if you have a beef, write a letter. Because they may not pay attention to one or two letters, but if they get 100 letters, they're going to know. Because they know, they understand that yeah. every letter that's written represents a whole bunch of people that think people. the same way that don't take the time to write the letter. That's right. So I would just encourage people more than ever get involved, write a letter make the phone calls because ultimately if you don't get involved and, and take part in choosing your leadership of your community, your state, your country, then it's kind of on you. Then you don't really get to complain. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Love it, man. Well, we'll wrap it up with that, my friend. Um, I hey, do well, I, appreciate I, it, bud. I have a cell phone number. I'm going to give you uh, offline here. Um, that may or may not be useful, but, uh, uh, of a uh, representative. Oh, so, awesome. No, I'd love it. I'll definitely call. Yeah. Um, well, look, man, I, I appreciate it a ton. Thank you for the time. Um, just, oh, yes. One thing I want to make sure anybody listening to this knows is how do they get your waffles? If they want to order some of these awesome, awesome waffles, and they truly are, how do they get them? Best place to go if you don't live in Charlotte is just our website. It's just castironwaffles.com. Mm. And that's plural. So mm-hmm. uh, if you go to our website, if you live in Charlotte, you can place an online order for takeout or curbside pickup. If you don't live in Charlotte, or if you do live in Charlotte and you don't want to go out of your house, uh, we'll ship them to you one day. And it's, or if you want to send a gift, you know, we just, we're shipping a ton this week for Mother's Day. But um, if you want to send somebody a gift, you know, just, a dozen waffles and a pound of awesome coffee. You can do that on our website. Really easy to check out and we'll get them out the next day. Amen, man. Those things are really, really, really good. Y'all. I am not just saying it. I mean, they are phenomenal. Uh, so jump on and order some Chris. Thanks, man. Thanks a ton. Tell Chris to hello. It was great seeing y'all out riding bikes the other day. That was, that was cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It was great to see your family out in the driveway. What a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man. life is good. We'll keep up the great work, man. You're doing awesome with your business and with your podcast and all that. You got, a, you got a real gift. 
Oh, man, I appreciate that a lot. Well, thank you very much for the business. Thanks for what y'all do. And uh, you, you know where I am, man, anytime you need anything. I look forward to seeing you again in person, live, and hanging out there when, uh, when we can again. We'll do it. Sounds good, Will. Have See a good you. week. All right, man. See you, Chris. Take care. Bye. Bye.